We should worship God. It should move us to do worship. There are all kinds of ideas of what people think worship is. There are some people under the impression that these are believers and they're well, they're good people, but we've got a misunderstanding about church. They think that worship is only when we come and we play our favorite hymn song or we play our favorite uh, 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 praise and worship song or southern gospel song, and then if it doesn't happen like that, then we really didn't meet with God. We think that worship is is that when Brother Steve preaches, if he's not you know sweating, then we didn't have service, or if we didn't have this going on, that we didn't have service. And we we what we're doing, what we're doing wrong is we're bringing our flavor to church. We're bringing what we want to church, and then when we don't get our Baskin and Robbins flavor of what we want in worship, then we go home disappointed and think, well, we didn't even worship at all. And the whole reason is because our concept of worship is messed up, because what happens to us, it's not because stained glass has never added any additive to worship. Mirrors or lights have never added anything to worship. Playing the guitar or the drums or not. Playing a keyboard versus playing a grand piano or versus playing an organ, which is not my flavor. But playing all of those things, that's not what worship is. Worship is not, okay, we've got to wait for us to sing before we can worship, as though we're waiting to get on the field and play in a ball game. Worship is not that, and it's been told to us, or it's kind of been an underlying principle throughout all of our Christianity and through all of our church experience that if we don't like the worship here, then we'll go somewhere else and we'll find worship where we like it, and we've got to stop that. Worship is not limited to the Baptist denomination. As a matter of fact, being a Baptist will not get you saved and get you into heaven. Worship is not limited to our church of God or assembly of God friends that speak in tongues and do other things. Worship happens within each person's heart individually. Worship has to start out with this. And so for us to understand, listen, I can't teach you about worship and just tell you what I think about worship. Is what everybody does. Because people, this is what they do, Brother Brandon. They come in and they hear the songs and they go, man, that was rocking today. The church was rocking. We were moving. That song that you sang, you know, you know, it can't nobody do me like Jesus. You know, that song, Brother Brandon, boy, we worship today because we were all clapping and maybe doing a little stomping and stuff like that. We go on that way. Or we come in and we hear a song like Patty sang last Sunday, I think, about um that I praise his name, you know, if you're up against the wall and, and all this stuff, your mountain and all that, and you feel like you can't go on to praise his name, and people are crying, and then they go home, Sister Joyce, and go, oh, well, we worship today because people were crying. You know what I mean? And then we've built this theology in church today, and this is what I hear said, and if you've said it, please don't think that I'm talking about you, but I would rather you not say this anymore. People go, well, we all worship differently, but it's not correct. Biblically, that is not a correct statement that we all worship differently. Worship is one thing, and that is finding praise individually within your heart to adore and love the one who has given so much for you. Worship in the Old Testament, there are Hebrew words. One of the first Hebrew Hebrew words you'll find about worship is hallel. Hallel is even a cool thing today that during the Passover for the Jews that are even present on the earth today and they still celebrate Passover and don't celebrate Christ as our Passover, they still go around and, Dad, they quote the Hallel at the cedar or the setter meal. They quote the Hallel is Psalms chapter 113 through Psalms chapter 118. And what it is, it is a praise. 
The word Hallel in the Hebrew means to be praised, that he is worthy to be praised. Even us today, we, we, we know what this Hebrew word is because when we talk about it in our English, we use this word Hallelujah. Hallelujah, because when we're talking about hallelujah, we're saying praise unto the Lord, that Jehovah is worthy to be praised, that we're saying praise the name of the Lord. Even in the Bible, in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, it is so cool, because the Bible says around the throne of God that the 24 elders are there, which is a representation of Old Testament, New Testament believers. All the saints of God are there, Brother Bill, and they're all saying these words, singing these words, hallelujah, hallelujah, which that's from that original transliteration from the Greek. It means hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And even the, even the seven spirits of God that are there, they're saying holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You know what they're doing? They're praising him. They're worshiping him. So what will we do in heaven? Well, thank God we won't be going to Walmart in heaven, no matter what you ladies think. We won't be going to Walmart in heaven. There'll be no more grocery pickups, Amen. Listen, we won't be fishing in the crystal sea, and I know that disappoints a lot of you, especially my dad. When we get to heaven, we'll be worshiping him who is worthy of worship. When we figure out our worth, the worth of salvation, and the worth of an almighty God that did all that for us, then all we will be able to do is say, hallelujah. You know what? One word in every language across the whole board is the same. We may say, yes, in English. We may say see in Spanish. You know, we may say other words. You know, one word that is true all the way through all languages, hallelujah. Hallelujah is same and translated the same through all of our languages. That's why, listen, when we get there, every tongue, every nation, every race, every person, amen, red, yellow, black, and white, no matter, they'll all be saying hallelujah to God. So you better get into good practice now if you're going to be doing it for all eternity. Here's another Hebrew word, and you gotta, you got to take the way that I do these goofy things. I've worked on it all week long, but this next Hebrew word is really cool. It's yada. And there's a reason that I say it like that. It's so hopefully you'll remember these things. It's so hopefully you'll understand them. Yada means to hold out your hands to God in reverence. And I know that some of you have been to church before, and you've been worshiping by someone, and all of a sudden they've elbowed you because they've, they done put their hands up. You know what I mean? You look at them like they're crazy, and you're going, what are, they, are we being robbed? What are they doing? What they're doing is this yada. <laughs> it's almost like, is they're holding their hands out to God, and they're not saying, gimme, 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 gimme. No, they're receiving of God. They're not asking. They're holding their hands out in reverence to God and saying, God, I give to you. I give you my life. I give you everything. And what they're doing is this. It's almost in the old days in the South and stuff where the ladies would drop their handkerchiefs and stuff and the ladies would hold their hands out like this and be expected to receive it. Or a gentleman would hold their hand out in order to receive a woman or to open the door and things like that. It is a holy, loving reverence when we do this Hebrew word, yada, that we're holding out our hands to God saying, God, I receive you. Lord, you're, what you're doing, is, you know what you're saying? I need you. And not only do we see Hallel, and then we see Yada, but then we see Toda. You're going to remember these things, I promise you. And you're going to go, Steve is so stupid. Why does he do those things? But you're going to go, Toda. And next time some kind of person says, Toda, you're going to know that they're making an acc acclamation with their mouth. They're making a proclamation saying, 
I believe in the Lord. It's awesome. There's some times that we have services and, man, the Lord is moving and people don't realize that they're the key to that service, Brother Nick, and all of a sudden you can see God stirring up in them. And they'll sit over there and uh, used to they'd grip the pews and now they just hold on to their seats, you know. And they're sitting there and they're just kind of moaning and they're excited and you can tell. And all of a sudden you say, I wonder if anybody would have a word they'd like to share about Jesus. And they're like the first one up, boop, and they stand up. And I love this. I love it. Because sometimes when people stand up, I go, oh, no, dear Lord, what are they going to say? But sometimes they stand up and they say these words. I love it. A lot of old saints of God have said it. And I can, I'm going through my mind right now of people that are with the Lord now, and they say it. And they would, this is all they would do. And they'd sit back down. They'd say, Brother Steve, I'd like to just stand up and say that I love the Lord. And they'd sit back down. And most people would go, well, I mean, well, I love him too. You know what I mean? But they did that Hebrew word. They worshiped him by saying it with their mouth. By saying it with their lips, they made an acclamation of their faith. And even, listen, I've seen ladies in our church that do not like to talk in front of people at all, and the testimony service come, and one time in 20 years, this person stood up, and when she stood up, she was shaking like a leaf on a tree, and all she could say was, I just want to say that I love the Lord. And in that moment, she worshiped God in the way this Hebrew, Todah, says, and the next time somebody says something and testifies, I'm going to go, Todah. Amen. Look at this next one. It is shakah, and it means to lie prostrate, bowing down before him in humiliation. It means that you are in a place of worship so much that you're so overwhelmed by God and who he is that you bow before him. That you literally, like David did, that laid out on the ground flat before him. That you're just saying, God, in your presence... It's hard for me to even be able to stand upon my feet. Listen, how many of you remember, and this is going to have to be some older, silver-haired people in here, how many of you remember the days where you was courting somebody? You know what I mean? Nowadays, when we're courting somebody, that means like every Tuesday up here at Warrior, you know, we're going to court with them or something. But courting somebody, you know, I'm going to say that Bill and Peggy and Donald and Barbara probably courted a little bit, right, back in their days. And to where he'd look over and Brother Bill would look at Peggy and go, baby, you make my liver quiver. You know what I mean? Uh, you move me in my bowels. No, no, that's, you say, what do you mean? That's what God's Word says. It does. It talks about that God moved them within their mouths. And it's like, you know, you know, nowadays you don't say that to your girlfriend. You know what I mean? You don't want to say that at all. You say it about certain things, maybe after certain foods, but you don't say it out like in reverence or in love. But they would always use that illustration like, uh, Elvis sung about it, my hands are sweating and my knees are weak. You know, I can't sleep and I can't. All that. You think of, <laughs> some of you are going to sing stuff. Um, but the knees, why did they do that? Because when they were in the presence of somebody they loved so much, they would get all weak-kneed. You know what I mean? They'd talk about their knees shaking stuff and get nervous about talking. Even in wedding services, I tell everybody, do not stand there, men. Do not lock your knees. Do not lock your knees and stand there like a board because you're going to pass out and you're going to faint, you know, because the blood's not flowing through your body. And the reason they do that is because they're, listen, it's so amazing. They're so overwhelmed with who they love so much that it's like it takes them away. That's what this word means. This word means in worship, Lord. And listen, if you've never worshiped God in that way, you're missing out. To where you just fall before him and say, God, I can't move. I can't do anything without letting you know how much I love you and I care for you. Here's another one. This is Barach. 
you know, with the K. Anytime you do Hebrew, it's got to have that at the end with the K's on it. And it means to kneel down while blessing the name of the Lord. It means to kneel before him while you're speaking blessings about his name. And here's the last one, Abad. Abad is a Hebrew word that means that worship in the form of service. All of these other words, these first five words that I showed you, were all like lifting out the hands, doing uh, praise or worship with the mouth, uh, lying down on the ground before him, kneeling down before him in love and adoration and stuff. This last Hebrew word, abat, it's different. It's a word that is used about the high priest. It says that when they went to the tabernacle or to the temple, to worship the Lord, that they trimmed the wicks, worshiping the Lord, that they filled up the wicks with the olive oil or the bowls with the olive oil so that the lamp would always burn or they changed the showbread on the table of showbread and stuff. It says they did this worshiping the Lord. That's the Hebrew word, worship. It means their worship no longer came out as like praise or mouth or hands or heads and lifting the, uh, up their eyes to the Lord or bowing them before him. It meant that while they were worshiping the Lord, while they were serving the Lord, that was their act of worship. These guys got up here today, Brother Brandon sang, Andrew played together guitar, Jacob on the piano, Wes was playing the drums, the guys that are in the back today doing all the sound, they're doing all the ability that they have, all of the wisdom and understanding that they have, they're bringing honor and glory to God by doing that, and so in doing that, playing the guitar, playing the piano, playing the drums, they are in worship of their Lord. Because they're taking what God has given them and they're using it as a service unto the Lord. Now if we go to the New Testament, we have a few words. And I'm only going to use three of the Greek New Testament words. The first one is proskuneo. That's a big word right there, right? I had to practice all week on that one along with my other jokes of ta-da and na-da. And y'all didn't really like them very much. So I'll work on some new ones this week. But it means the same thing as that old Hebrew word. It means to kneel down or to bow before him or to lay prostrate on the ground. And then there's another Greek word. Prospito, and uh, that's what I usually do when I'm preaching. Uh, that's prospito on everybody. It means to fall down. It means to fall down before him. But now look at our text this morning. Romans chapter number 12, verse number 1. The Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you go back to verse number one, you'll see right there at the end of it all, it says that this service that we do is our reasonable service. <clears throat> There's another Greek word right there. We're not trying to be smart. I'm trying to get you to understand what Paul and the Lord is telling us. We're not trying to throw all these Hebrew words out there, but I want to show you that there are Hebrew words of worship in your English translation that mean different things that they did. And so I want you to understand that even that proskuneo Greek word that means to <clears throat> fall down and <clears throat> lie down on the ground, or prospito to mean to fall down, this word right here, reasonable service, is the same word used for worship in the, in the New Testament, and it's this word right here, lateria. Lateria, and it means... Sacred service through our love, through our adoring of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father. And I know that you say, why did you go through all of that? Because we have to get here. We have to get to this point. Paul says, for a believer, for a Christian, for all of us, it's our reasonable thing to do is to worship the Lord. Our worship should not only be with our mouths, 
But Jesus even made a point one time, Sister Laura, that said, they worship me with their lips. But what did he say? Their heart is far from me. You know what he was saying, Brother Nick? He said, they worship me with their lips. They do all the yada and the toda, which is what we're very good at doing here at church, and the tadas and all that stuff, and all of our worship uh, preparation and experiencing the worship and our <clears throat> presenting the worship. But yet, our lips are close to him because we do it with that in our hands. But he said, our hearts, he says, what's happening is, he says, they worship me with their lips, but they're not walking in it. He's saying they're not doing Lateria worship, which is sacred service through adoration of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you. We ask you to please open this scripture up to all of our hearts today. Lord, let us get through this thick stuff. Help us to get through the difficult stuff so that we may have something today that challenges and changes us, Lord, and leaves and takes us from here and would be forever changed. In the name of Christ Jesus, we ask these things, Lord. Amen. Listen, if we're going to worship the Lord, we have to understand what worship is. We've got to go through the Hebrew words. We've got to go through the Greek words to understand what true worship is because our problem is, is you think you know what worship is because you've had a fuzzy feeling before. You think you know what worship is because a certain song or something has moved you in a certain way. But yet, I still see some of you are moved and, and, and goosebumped by Charlie Daniels' band. <laughs> right? So, if Charlie Daniels does that stuff to you and God does that stuff to you, then what's really worship? Right? I'll never forget going to a Southern Gospel concert one night. We were raising money for uh, somebody that had a stroke. And man, all these groups got up there and singing about the Lord and singing about God. And then the Oak Ridge boys got up there and they sang about it all. And then everybody, I watched this one little old bitty lady. She never moved in reverence. She never did anything. Were you there? Yeah. We never moved, never did anything. It was like they sung about, you know, all these gospel songs. And she just was like a knot on a log, just didn't move. And the Oak Ridge boys got up there and they joked around. And, and got them to sing Elvira. Y'all know that, um, bop, a mile, mile. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This lady stood up. I thought she was going to take her wig off and throw it on the stage. She was moved by that song. When those guys went, Elvira, she went crazy. And I was like, well, now we're worshiping. That, that good old invitation song, Elvira, right? It was like, I, and, and that's what we do here. We come to church and we expect this big thing we expect something to happen, and we don't know that worship is not showing up at 11, and then we just get in on it. Worship, number one, must be something that happens internally. Worship must happen internally. It's not an external thing until it happens internal. Look at what he says. He says in verse number one, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Let's just take that clause. We're only going to do two verses today, so it'll only be two hours here. But if you look at it, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. Look at that word. He says, I beseech you. I am asking you. I'm beseeching you. A lot of people think that that word means I'm begging you. Oh, I beg you. Please, 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 with cherries on top and all that stuff. I'm begging you to do that, but that's not what that word means. That word there is translated in the Greek. It's parakleo. And what Paul's saying, he says that word parakleo means come alongside of, to come to the side of. That's where parallel, being parallel to something. And so what God is asking us, he says, I'm asking you to come 
alongside of this teaching, alongside of this understanding and this knowledge and this wisdom. He said, all these things, I'm beseeching you. It's kind of like this. If your child was out there today playing in the road, you as a parent do not go, oh, pretty please, will you please come out of the road? Pretty, pretty please, please come out of the road. Don't play in the road. No, you tell them, you need to get over here by me now. Is there any parents that do that anymore? Seriously. You know, and, and, and mine was followed up by this. If you don't, <laughs> right? What they're doing, Paul is not saying, oh, I'm begging you, please do this, pretty please do this. Paul says, no, I'm beseeching you. Proskuneo, or excuse me, he says, um, uh, Paracleto, he said, I'm asking you to come to my side. He said, if you're a Christian and you're a believer, you better come to this because you're going to need it. What is great about that word is that the Bible also translates that word over in John chapter number 14 and John chapter number 17 as the word comforter. At one time, Brother Nick, it's translated as a capital C comforter. Jesus said, if I go away, I, send will, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will send a comforter unto you. And that word is parakletos, which is a little bit different from this word. This word right here is parakleto, but this word parakletos means I will send the Holy Spirit to come to your side. It means that he will be with you, walk beside you. What is also good is in 1 John chapter number 1, I think it is, it says that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father. That means, that's the same word, parakletos. It means if we sin, we have one that comes alongside of us, the Holy Spirit of God that goes, hey, you shouldn't have done that. And we have Jesus, our great advocate, our great defender, law attorney, that says because of my blood, because of what I did at Calvary, because of my, the will, Father, that I did and did all those things, Steve Abney is forgiven today because he's asked for your forgiveness, and I am come to his side today to stand in his defense and demand that you give that forgiveness through my blood. Amen. That's good. That, uh, you ought to think that's worthy enough to worshiping him, man. So Paul says, I ain't begging you like a bunch of little babies. He said, I'm telling you, you need to come to the side of this. I beseech you, come to the side of this. And he says this other word. He says, Adelphia, brethren. He said, I'm beseeching you, therefore, Look at what he says, brethren. How good we as Christians and church members have become at blaming every problem of the world on everything out there and never searching our own hearts and saying, God, let your judgment begin at the house of God. We're good at blaming everything going on in Congress, everything going on in the streets, and we're good at looking at them, never understanding, if you thought for one moment, that those people do not know what they're doing, that they're lost. Jesus knew it. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He didn't say what the church says today. Father, get them, for they know not what they do. No, he says, forgive them, for they don't understand. They have no understanding of their worth, of their value, and what you're doing here today at Calvary. They do not understand any of it. And still today, some 2,000 years later, we're at that same point where we want to blame everybody else for everything that's going on, but yet we still do what we want to do. That's wrong, church. Paul says, I beseech you, therefore, Adelphia. You know what Adelphia means? It means brother. How many of you know that Philadelphia means the city of brotherly love? 
It's where Rocky trained to fight somebody, but it's the city of brotherly love, right? You remember? You think about it. That word filet, as they use there, is the Greek word for love, filet love. It's a, a love, affection, not that a husband and wife have together, but a friendship like me and Brother Nick have together, me and Brother Brandon. Filet, Delphia, Adelphia means brotherly love. It means a love of a brother. It means reaching out. So Paul says today, I'm not speaking to the world. Paul says, I'm not speaking to the lost people that are walking in unbelief. Paul says right here, Brother Danny, he said, I'm talking to you that call yourself the body of Christ, the brothers and the sisters of God. He said, I beseech you, therefore, notice that, and we're going to move on. He didn't say, go to church, wait till the service begins, and then figure out if the message applies to you or it applies to your backslidden spouse. He didn't say that. No. Paul says, I beseech you, you, and you. What do we do with the service? Sometimes we walk away and go, well, if it had been there, you'd have got them today, right? Even people tell me this, and I've tried to change people's ways on this stuff. They say, boy, you really stepped on my toes today, and I get disappointed. I go, man, I'm sorry. I missed because I was aiming for the heart, Right? People, we get all wrapped up in church service and to the point where, look, you come to one service and you're so excited leaning in on your seats, the next service you're passed out of sleep. One service you're all ears, the next service you're so bitter and angry about something that doesn't even matter eternally and you're not even with us. You're not even there. It happens every Sunday with each and every person. Listen, you think worship is just going to happen. It's just going to like, okay, boom, just happen. You say, Brother Steve, I'm just going to pray for the Spirit of God come, and it's just it's going to boom and all that stuff. And you're not seeking God individually. Let me ask you this, and I'll move on. How much time, just today, just today alone, you had more time than the first service, so you're, you're a little bit more guilty. How much time did you put in preparing for worship? I ain't talking about makeup and clothes and deodorant and all that good stuff. I'm talking about how, how many words, if you could put it into your hand, how many words did you speak to the Lord today, this morning, and say, Lord, when we go to the house of worship and praise, that I, I want you to know how much I love you, and I'm ready to worship you today. How many of you even just said this statement, Lord, this is your day that's been set aside to worship. Now, I worship you every day. But I've specifically set this day aside to worship you. If we're honest, if we're truthful, most people that even come to church nowadays don't even prepare that way. They don't spend that much time getting ready. And then they want some kind of sensational, warm, fuzzy feeling to happen. And then we walk away because it wasn't our flavor. They think we didn't worship. I got to tell you, I'm, I'm not here to tell you what you need to hear. I'm here to tell you the truth. I'm not here to please you. The reason that you miss out on worship so many times and I look at everybody because you're not seeking it as an individual. You're thinking it's going to happen in this big group and you're not seeking it individually every single day. He said, I beseech you therefore to do these things. Worship is clearly stated in scriptures that it begins with the individual hearts of men and women. It will never be because of a chord that is strung on the guitar and those strings are plucked. It will only be when the heart strings are plucked upon all of us. Because why? Because there's this internal call that God gave. An internal call. He said, I beseech you. You. I, I, listen, 
If we have three services, four services, or five services, I'm ready. I love preaching. It doesn't, today is not the feel-good day about my preaching. Y'all think it is. My feel-good about the preaching was two years ago when God was giving me this, and I couldn't write it down fast enough. I'm actually wore out and ready to go home and take me a good old Sunday afternoon nap, if anything. But what? It's because we've come to hear the Word of God and that you should have already prepared your hearts for worship. You can't come in here on last night's living in sin hangover and then go, I'm just going to worship the Lord today. You haven't even prepared your heart for worship. You haven't even stirred and moved your heart. There's an internal call. God says, it's not me that brings you worship. It's you. I beseech you. He didn't say, I beseech the pastor. There are scriptures that do pertain to the pastors and to people. But in this one, he says, you. If you want to really get down to it, it doesn't say, y'all. It's singular. You. Then God says this. There has to be an internal call. There has to be this internal current. <laughs> current. In the fifth grade, I was in trouble because I took a gym clip, opened it up, and I stuck it in the light socket. I got in trouble, sent out in the commons. I was hurt. I got sent out in the commons for it. That was back in the day where we did dumb stuff. You suffered for it, right? I got a paddling, all kinds of stuff. And you're thinking, nowadays, kids, you're hurt. we need to call the hospital. We need to call the doctor. We got to get this baby taken care of, you know. My teacher back then, <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what she said. But she said, Abney, you need to compose yourself. And, uh, and I was like, that hurt. <laughs> Why? Because there was a current coming through that thing, and I didn't know it. But when you stick that gym clip in there, you're going to know it. You're going to feel it because it's going to come out on you, right? And you're going to walk away like Tim Allen going, mm, right? That's what the Bible says about worship. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, look at this next portion of the Scripture. Look at verse 1. By the mercies of God. Listen to me. You can't worship God in your ownness, in your own self. You, the Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that seeks after God, Brother Nick. So even in our worship, it is the mercies of God, current, flowing through us, that cause us to worship Him. It's the mercies of God that bring that to us. We have no other reason to worship Him than by His mercies that are new every single day. The Bible says that these mercies worship doesn't take place because we're just a believer or we say we are. It's because we know it. And here's what we've done in church today. We've come to church and we always go, Lord, I, I'm in my worship, I've just come and I need this done. And, and Lord, if you could take care of this. And, and God, if you could just give me blessing after blessing after blessing. But in true worship, it is what? It is todah and adah, which means what? To lift out our hands to do what? To tell him we receive him. To give him praise and to give him glory. That word that we use there, the, the, uh, the one where we proclaim his name and we give shout to his name. It's not we're going, God, give me, 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 and get your hand out like that. No, it's because of what he's done that brings us worship. See, what we've done today is we flip that. We think that we come to worship in order to get this warm, fuzzy feeling and then to be blessed. That's not what God's Word says happened. God's Word says they got the warm, fuzzy feeling. We're a blessing to God, and that in turn was true worship. That was worship, Amen. The Bible says that they were moved. Why were they moved? By the mercies of God. Paul said, listen, one good key word in there. He said, I beseech you, look at this word. It's a very Shakespearean word. I beseech you, therefore. You know what I mean? It's almost like hark. You know what I mean? Hark. Who says that anymore? Hark. 
There goeth a Sonic, you know. Let us stop and eat corn dog. No one says that word anymore. But what this word, I beseech you, therefore, what Paul says in that one word right there, man, there's a lot of power there, Brother Bill. Because of what he says, he says, now that you've heard everything that I've said from Romans chapter 1 to where we are now, therefore, let me share with you. Therefore, now that you know the mercies of God. Because in Romans chapter 3, you know what Paul preached? Romans chapter 3, he told us that we were all sinners, deserving of death, but God was going to send his son to die on the cross. He taught them the doctrine or the truth of our sin. Romans chapter 4, he preaches the justification of believers. Paul spends a whole time telling everybody who was in sin and unrighteousness, now because of Jesus Christ, they can have justification. In other words, they can speak to God on good terms terms and they can come boldly to him and talk to him why because they've been justified you know what justified means it means though i was a sinner i stand before god clean and whole just if i'd never sinned amen that's worthy of worship right romans chapter number five you know what paul told them about the very love and the greatness of the grace of god he told them in romans chapter five did you know that while you were yet sinners christ died for you he says in Romans chapter 5, verse number 8, he talks about that. Romans chapter 5, verse number 20, he talks about what? He said, where sin did abound, love did much more abound. Amen. Paul told him in Romans chapter 6, and if you want it, it's a free gift. He said, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans chapter 7, he told them about the freedom from the penalty of sin. He told them that there was a price that had to be paid for sin. The law had to be satisfied, and Jesus stepped in and took your place and you won't have to die for your sins because Jesus delivered you from the penalty of sin in Romans chapter 8 he told them what he said he delivered them from the power of sin he said not only are you delivered from the penalty of sin and that you won't have to offer your life but Jesus did but he said in Romans chapter 8 what shall separate us from the love of God shall height or depth or principalities or things to come things that are present he said I am convinced that nothing's able to separate me from the love of Christ Amen. And then he tells them in Romans chapter 9 and 10 and 11, he tells them that Israel knew all of these things, the mercies of God. Israel knew every one of them, and they went away from them. They rejected the gospel of God. They rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. They went into sin, and he says in verse number, chapter number 11, he says, but God's not done with them yet. He's going to bring them back as a great remnant, and then he concludes right, or he begins right here in the next continuation, and he says in chapter 12, verse number 1, so I beseech you therefore. You see that? we got to go through the whole book of Romans. Y'all didn't know you were going to go through the whole book of Romans today, but you got to go through that to get to what Paul says. So now, therefore, it was what he's saying. Let's put it in, in my terminology. So now that you know that. He said, now that you know brothers, sisters, children of God, that by the mercies of God you are what you are. Do you know that? Do you know that you are what you are because God is who he is? See, that's where we miss out on worship. And I'm not blaming you. Listen, I'm not telling you you need to get up and you need to form some kind of spiritual conga line around the church to have worship. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is this, that I'm realizing more and more after the years of ministry that I've been preaching and pastoring, I'm realizing this, that people don't know how to worship God. I'm finding out that too many of them are, they'll go to this church and they'll say, oh, we like the way y'all worship over there. And 
So then they tie on that you can only worship like we do at North Highland. Sweaty, fat preacher. You know, singing both Southern Gospel and new stuff. You know, and then they tie it together and they go, well, that's what my worship is. And then before long, when the pastor dies or somebody else dies, you know what happens, Nick? Then, then you go out and you search for that same identical kind of church because you have now transformed that worship has got to be that. And man, that could not be further from the truth. And we could not be more wrong. I've got to tell you, being a Baptist is not where the worship's at. Being Church of God is not where worship's at. Being a born-again child of God is where worship is at. And Paul says, by the mercies of God. Now you think about this for a moment. Think about it with me. The mercies of God, Lamentation says, they're new every day. Every day. You say, I don't know what to praise him for today. It's new every day. And people come to church and they go, oh, prophet, oh, pastor, give me a new word. Give me a new revelation. And we ain't even got this yet. And we want something new and something fresh and God do something better and greater. How could he do something better and greater, Brother Cor, than he's already done? What more could he have done when he gave his only son to die for our sins? What more could you want when you read the Old Testament book of Leviticus and compare it to the New Testament book of Hebrews? Then you go, God in all, everything that you did, I worship you because of what? I don't worship you to get something from you. I worship you because of what you've already given me. Amen? Listen, that's what's good about it. Even the blind man that when he was touched by Jesus and could only barely see, he was still in mid-worship even though he didn't get his full sight back just yet. Amen? When they asked him what happened to him, all he could do was say, I know I was blind, but now I see. Amen? I don't know if y'all get this or understand it, but... I'm excited this morning. There's got to be an internal move. There's got to be an internal current. And the last thing that God says, listen, worship begins with God. It's centered in God, and it ends with God. It's not about us. It's not about our flavor. Well, Brother Steve, I I want mint chocolate church today. Oh, Brother Steve, I want some Rocky Road church today or some pralines and cream church today. Boy, that sounds good. And God forbid that's what we've done to our worship. And then now the church, the people that are out in the world, when they come in, they see us fighting over our style, our presentation. And they totally miss out that we're here, we're, we're people of God. Listen, if the power shuts off in the church service, and you go home and think we didn't have church service because we didn't have musical strings or instruments playing, what's well, a bad way to go home? Because we can worship God, lights on, lights off, no matter what. The Bible says there has to be an internal current. And here's the other thing. There's God, God wants us to be an external conduit. God wants us to be, listen, he don't want you to be the water. He just wants you to be the water hose. God wants you to be a current, just like that copper wire that that electricity flows through and then winds up through somebody's body because of a gym clip. God wants you to be the conduit. He desires it. He said, I beseech you. Listen to this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. Do you see that? 
He says, I'm telling you to come alongside of me in this, that you would present your bodies a living sacrifice. We are to present or place near. This word present means to place near or beside our bodies. That means we must surrender our lives at the altar of God. We are not to present. Listen to the wording in this. He did not say, I want you to present your bodies a legal sacrifice, like something of the law, that it would be slain. and Do you know that there is a christian organization that they call themselves that they actually do this self-flagellation that they call where they self-mutilate themselves they they beat themselves up with whips and stuff and on their backs and stuff and they use the scripture in corinthians i think it is where it talks about i I beat my body into subjection and do that they think because jesus did the beating that therefore we have to do that in order to keep our holiness into subjection that is that is a lie that's crazy because God doesn't want you to be a law sacrifice because, let me say something to you, and I don't want to bust your bubble. You couldn't be good enough. You're not perfect enough. But Jesus was. He says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Living means one that is, has life and strength and, and all of that. But he says that you would be holy. Now, here's this. Listen to me. Before you get all mad at me, think I'm picking on you about sins and all that stuff. Listen to me. I'm not perfect. I understand that. But Paul says, since you know about the mercies of God, since you as believers, not the world, anybody, any of y'all ever had your parents look at you and you're, you're like, you're, you're a sibling of other, you know, you got other siblings and stuff, brothers or sisters, and, and you're sitting there and they're getting on to you and you go, well, but what about them? Any of y'all ever had your parents go, I ain't talking to them, I'm talking to you. Anybody ever had that before? I had that before. I don't, I don't care about it. How many of you have ever uh, had that time where you was even telling on your neighbor and your friend, your mom and dad said, they ain't mine, I don't care. But I'm going to tell you what, you're mine. And I'll tell you, you know what, you know what I'm talking about? So, <laughs> Brandon fills me. It says that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Let me say something to you about sin. He says, since you know all this and about the goodness and the mercies of God, you ought to present your whole life holy and acceptable unto God. Did you know that Cain tried to offer an offering and it was unacceptable God, to God? you know why? Well, first of all, because it was without the blood. But second of all, because it was filled with his own pride. Because when he was not accepted of his offering, God gave him another chance. He said, if you would do good, then you would be accepted also. So he was basically saying, if you would go and do those things, then you'd come back and be accepted. But you remember, his heart was filled with hatred and anger, even to the point where he killed his own brother. God's telling us this morning and every day of our Christian life, you say you're a Christian, you say you're a believer, then you ought to come alongside of God's holy word. And I beseech you, come alongside, Pericleto, you come alongside of God's word, and you ought to present your bodies, your whole life, everything about yourself. Notice the word bodies. He didn't say soul because he's talking about every physical act of work that we do. He said you ought to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, holy, acceptable unto God. That you should be, as what old preachers used to say, above reproach. You should not bring a reproach to the name of God. He said, if you know how much you're worth, you know how much God did for you and what God has, has done for you, then you ought to meet him every day in the altar. Warren Wiersbe said it like this. He said it better than I could. He said, the Christian who fails in his life is the one who has first failed at the altar, refusing to surrender completely to Christ. You know what he's saying there? He's saying, how dare we blame God 
for our failures and our sins or blame any other people for our failures and our sins, and we're not going to meet with God every morning before we go out. Let me even say this even a little bit further to push the envelope and make that frown even go down a little bit more. You have no right to go over at Jack's and to go to a corner booth and talk to somebody about Jesus until you have first talked to Jesus that day yourself. You should talk to the Lord Jesus Christ. We have no right going out trying to do things in our own strength because why? It says it's not by the mercies of Steve Abney or Kathy Lay. He said it's by the mercies of God that we worship him. We are every day. Adrian Rogers said it in the best way. He said, dare to meet no man before you meet God before you go out every day. And that's what we need to do. He's, and this is what's wrong with us today. You want to know why the world's not just running in and trying to dive into the church and do all that stuff today? It's because a lot of the people that go to church are not doing this part. They're not presenting their bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. They're still going out doing the things that they want to do, but yet they still want to hang on to God. Listen, worship is internally sown, but it's externally shown. It has to be shown out. Here's the last couple of things. Worship has to be intentional. You have to be intentional about worship. Look at what he says. He said this in that last portion of that scripture. This is your reasonable service. You know what the word reasonable is? It's the Greek word lokios. Lokios. What, what do you think that means? Logic. It's where we get our word logic from. Paul says right here, listen, get mad at me all you want. I'm still going to love you. Get mad at me all you want. But he says, if we're not doing He said, Worshiping God and living our lives holy and acceptable to the Lord. He said, it, it, it just makes sense. That's what that word means. He said, reasonable service. It, it's just logical. It's sensible to do what? To worship that lateria, that word worship, to live our life for the Lord. To where we would go, no, I'm not going to sin. No, I'm not going to let that sway me. No, I'm not going to give in to that temptation. No, I'm not going to do that. And the only way we can do that is how? By the mercies of God that we seek every single day in the Word of God, in praying to God. We can't do it on our own. But here's a problem we have now within church members. They go, well, I'm just going to do it anyway. You ever heard this? I'm going to do it anyway and ask forgiveness later. I wouldn't trust his salvation like that. I don't trust cheap salvation. Because if he's not Lord and causes you enough to serve him, then what kind of salvation do you really have? He says it's your reasonable, logical, sensible service. So, if we take that same scripture, Sister Laura, and we turn it on to the other side, if it says it's our logical service, our lot is just makes sense to worship God and to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, then this doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that someone says they're a Christian, but they have no desire to worship God. It has to be that way. I'm not making that up. It has to be that way. I hear people all the time, I got saved when I was seven. I got saved when I was eight. I did all this. And then they tell me they have no need for the church. They have no desire to go to church. They have no need to read the Bible. I don't have any. You, and this is what they say. I wrote them down. You don't have to go to church to be saved. I agree. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're looking to be saved, church is probably the best place you can ever find. Yeah. You can be saved anywhere. But we have, we turn, but we ain't got to go to church to be saved. And then they say this to you, why are you always going to church? Why you got to always go to church? You're there every day. And then they say, what's the big deal about going to church to worship? I can do that at home just as good as at the church. Well, let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever called your friend on a Tuesday afternoon, called them up, and this is the way my conversations go. I go, hey, buddy, what you doing? I've never 
in 44 years of my life ever had the response, well, me and the wife and kids, we just worshiping Jesus. Never. I've never called anybody on a Tuesday evening and I said, well, what you doing? We just worshiping the Lord. If you're, let me say, if you're worshiping the Lord on Tuesday, don't answer the phone, first of all. You can call me back later and say, we just didn't work. You don't do that. No, here's the response. Wait, hey, man, what, hey, buddy, what's up? What are you doing? Oh, I just grilled some hamburgers. All right, man, I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> hey, buddy, what are you doing? I was watching the game, man, watching TV, doing all this stuff. This is what we're good at. This is what we say. Oh, we can worship the Lord anywhere. And we have one day a week set aside, the first day of the week like the first Christians do. And still, people don't want to come. I'm telling you, you do not need to trust the salvation that does not cause you to worship the Lord. You've got something sold. You've been sold a counterfeit. Listen, last week we learned about how much we were worth, right? Right? Well, don't you think if God thought we were worth saving, that we should think he's worth worshiping? You know what? If he thought that much of us, don't you think we ought to think that much of him? We ought to praise him. We ought to give him glory. Let me say this to you. Does somebody who's hungry need to be invited to the dinner table? Not at my house. Not, I, not at my house. Now, look, I understand. I, I've never seen, and this is pretty cool, I've never seen anybody at Jack's out there flipping those signs trying to get you to come in. You know why? Because it's good. Jack's is good. I mean, they serve breakfast. I want good breakfast. I want a burger for lunch. Yep, chicken for dinner. They serve good stuff. Ain't nobody out there begging, flipping signs. But those cardboard pizzas from Little Caesars, they always got somebody out there flipping signs trying to get you to come in, right? Because you know why? You go, oh, you want Little Caesars? People go, uh, nah, not really. And so they have to have somebody out there to lure you in. At my house, this is what happens. This is what I hear from the back room. There's no way he shot me. That's, that's PlayStation talk, okay? No way. Right? Or Ollie stop or wayless at the dogs and stuff. And this is what I hear. What's that smell? We know it's dinner. That's usually Jacob. When we go, hey, it's ready. They're in there. Why? Because they're hungry. Do you have to invite somebody to a ball game if they're playing in the ball game? Let me say this. If you've got to invite somebody to the ball game that is a player in the ball game, they need to ride the bench. <laughs> right, coach? Can we get one out of you? you got to invite them to the game. They're a player. How many of you have been to a wedding before, and all of a sudden the bridal march started playing, and everybody's looking around, and they go, where's the bride? And somebody goes, well, did y'all not invite her? <laughs> no, no. And neither should somebody invite you to worship if he's your Lord. And neither should somebody beg you to sing about his salvation if you've been saved. Song directors shouldn't have to sit up and say, come on, church, sing, come on, church, sing. If he saved us, we should sing. And neither, no more than somebody trying to plead with you about living a holy life acceptable and pleasing to the Lord, if you've been redeemed by his great salvation and you realize how much you are worth and how much that he paid for you, if Jesus paid it all, then all to him I owe. The Bible says that worship must be intentional. Brother Brandon, come on. You come on, there are 25 minutes left, right? Here's the last thing, and this is what we'll close with, because this is where you've got to be changed. Worship has to be influential. <clears throat> it has to be internal, has to be intentional, and it has to be influential. That word influential means to be strong or power or to be weighty, have weight to it. <laughs> I'm influential. Have weight to me. Influential. It means to be changed, and this is what we do in church. Man, we're guilty of it. Please, please search your hearts this morning. Don't leave here. This is what we do. We come to church, 
and we're challenged to do good and to do better, but are we changed? You need to ask yourself, every time you leave the church, have I been changed by the Word of God? Isaiah was changed. He was influenced by worship. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter number 6 and verse number 1, it says, In the day of the king Uzziah, it says that he died. Isaiah also saw the Lord sitting high upon the throne. Listen to me. The Bible says King Uzziah died. And what was happening was there's a a, a transition, Brother Nick, of power. Uzziah died, which was a good king. And now even in this scripture right here, Isaiah is concerned about who's going to be king next. Kind of what we're in today, some of you. And so what happens in that moment is that we have all these what ifs. And we have all of these speculations and stuff. And the Bible puts that in there specifically for us, Brother Jimmy, so that we would understand in the day that Uzziah died, Isaiah was needing God just as much as you and I need God right now. And it says that when he died, he said he saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up. Isaiah was in prayer and in worship, and God showed him this. He said, and his train filled the temple. And what he's talking about is his righteousness filled the house of God. He's talking about just like a bride with her train, her dress, filling up that room. And all of that glory doing what? That train would do what? It would bring all the attention onto her. It says God's glory was all in the place. And he said, and I saw him high and lifted up. And his train filled the temple. It says, and above it stood seraphims, angels. Each one had six wings. And and with twain or two, he covered his face. And with twain, he covered his feet. And with two, he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, this is a glimpse of heaven. From Isaiah to Revelation, it's a glimpse of heaven. It says, "These, these angelic people were crying out. They were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. He says, and when this happened, the post of the door of the tabernacle, the post of the door of the temple, says the post moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. What it meant was the Shekinah glory of God filled the whole room. Isaiah was captured away in worship. Whether it was Todah or Adah or Hallel, lifting hands, laying down. When the Shekinah glory of God filled the room, the Bible says that the ministers could not even stand up on their feet to minister to God. Look at what happened when Isaiah worshiped the Lord. It's crazy. He was changed. He says, and then I said, woe is me. You know what that means, woe is me? Let's do our translation today from Steve. Man, look at me. Man, look at my miserable, sinful self. Isaiah said, woe is me, for I am a man, I am undone, I'm incomplete, I'm messed up, I'm a man of unclean lips. He said, and I dwell in the middle of people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord, Yahweh of hosts. He says, then one flew one of the angels or the seraphims unto me, and he had a live coal in his hand that he took up with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it on my mouth and said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thy iniquity is taken away. Thy sin is purged. What he was talking about, Isaiah declared to the Lord, My sin is in my mouth. Isaiah said, Lord, my sin is from my speech. <clears throat> Isaiah said, Lord, I want to lay my, my mouth and my tongue on the altar. And God said, it ain't, The altar's not big enough, buddy. Right? And so the Bible gives us this illustration of this angel went and took off the judgment 
brazen altar out there, a fiery coal that had blood soaked on it, and brings it over to his lips and touches his lips. What was he saying was, is that he applied the right medication, the right remedy, church, to the place where Isaiah needed it the most. He said, it's my lips that I've sinned with, and God touched his lips with judgment, and he says, your sin is taken away, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. And look at what he says. And he says, and I also heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And Isaiah was moved because he saw God for who he was. He worshiped God for who he was. Now he is clean and holy. Brother Nicky's forgiven. And he hears God say, I need people to go out. I need someone to go out and to share the truth. I need someone to go out and to show others worship of me. Who shall I send? And Isaiah said, send me. Here am I. Here I am. Oh Lord, here, here, here am I. It's almost like I can picture Isaiah going, God, if you could use somebody like me, I'll go. Rock Springs Church of God down towards Abernat and Bucksville. I was at a church of God that night and people were speaking in tongues and doing things and I was over here under the, over by the remembrance table praying to God. And I'll never forget as an 18-year-old boy that could not speak, stood up in English class and instead of saying the word lingerie, I, I said lingerie. I pronounced it that way. I was just dumb as a box of rocks. I got by, did all that stuff. I'll never forget that night, that summer, Brother Andrew, God was calling me to preach. And I was over there struggling, going, God, I don't even know how to talk. There's no way. I'm never talking. I'm never standing up in front of anybody again talking. Because I just mess everything up. And God was saying no. And I'll never forget. Lord, if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. The same way, Nick, Isaiah says, here I am, Lord. If you can use me, use me. I'm not perfect. I have sinned many times since that day. Not because it was my desire, but because I was fooled into sin by my own flesh. It ain't because of the devil. The devil can't make anybody sin. We do it on our own. But I promise you, I've never tried. All that's in me, I just want to do the right thing. And when I found out that I couldn't do the right thing, it disappointed me. I found out in my Christian life, as much as I kept trying, it was like I kept just messing up every stinking thing. I was like, I can't do right. And I read those words, by the mercies of God. And I realized, it ain't God wanting me to live holy and do that, me, myself. He's saying, buddy, you can't do it. But with me, alongside of you, you can do it. But what happens to Christians today is we've given up. And we just go, I can't do it. And so you live like hell all week long. And then you come to church and want this big, huge, emotional, fuzzy, warm feeling to go home with. And you were never intentional. You never sought God individually. And you've never been influenced by God's Word. Paul said there that we've got to be influenced. We should be transformed. 2 Corinthians says this, But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, we're changed 
into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Do you see that? It says we look into this Word of God and we look at Jesus' life, and every day we're changed, we're influenced by Him to know if we fall, He will help and forgive us, but He's helping us not to get back into the pit and back into the muck, into the mire, but He's helping us so that we can live a holy life that's pleasing. Let me ask you this question because this is what we've got to come to. Why do you worship the Lord? That's where we're at today. I, I'm not going to leave here today without that. If we leave here today on all this other stuff, you just go, oh, that's good. That's pretty good. A lot of Hebrew. A lot of Greek. That's good. I'm going to ask you today, why do you worship? Now listen, I'm going to tell you that the answer that you're thinking of right now it's probably not the right answer because we have the answer and it's in the scriptures. I beseech you, look at verse number one. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is what your reasonable service just makes sense. But then look at verse number two. He says, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now here it is. This is why we worship, that you may prove what is that? Look at it. Good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. We worship because it's the will of God for our lives. God's will is that you would worship Him. Not willing any should perish, but all should come to repentance to do what? To worship Him. And we look at these things. Don't turn me off just yet. We look at these things and go, all right, good, acceptable, and perfect. Isn't that kind of like good and better and best? You know what I mean? Like, like, we got this guy over here. He's good. And this one over here, he's, in, he, he's gooder. <laughs> he's better. And then we got, you know, somebody else. They're in the best part. Of it. Don't, you got to think of it like this. Stop for a moment. We're, we're, I promise we're leaving. But you got you to go with me. Some of us are at a place in our life where we serve the Lord just like J.C. honors her mother and her dad. She honors her mother and her dad because she knows it's good to do. Because if she doesn't do good, then therefore I'm, you're going to get a whooping. Right? Y'all, you whippy kids? Okay. I was just checking. But they serve out of that because they want to be good because they don't want the judgment of God or the chastising of God to come. And many of us in our beginning of our Christianity, that's what we understood. But then it moves. She grows up. She begins to understand that everything that they were trying to teach her is acceptable. That everything that they are trying to teach her when she becomes, I don't know, hopefully, how old are you, JC? Four. Hopefully by the time she's five, right? <laughs> that she doesn't serve just out of, okay, fear and, and the spec that, that I'm going to get a whooping for it or chastised for it. That she goes, you know what? They're right. It's acceptable. It's right. It's the right thing to do. Don't you, don't you wish your kids would come to you right now and say, uh, thank you for doing that? And then there's this last place that we all Christians need to be at. Perfect. That we understand this. I don't serve God because I'm just terrified. Oh, no, what are you going to do? I serve him because when I see all of the mercies of God in the Scripture that are new to me every day, I understand that his love toward me is perfect. And I, I, in turn, now, it's sort of like this. My dad now is one of my, my best friends, you know. I mean, we're buddies. But when I was little, we weren't buddies. I didn't hate him. 
I didn't like him. I had to love him because he was daddy. He's the only one I had. But when he was whooping me, I didn't, I didn't care to be around him. But then there become this time, like even my mom and stuff, to where now you move from buddy stage to where you go, you know what? It's just good to know that you're my mother and my dad. It's perfect. Couldn't ask for any, any better. That's where your worship should come to. Are y'all getting me? That's where your worship should be. So what I'm saying is, is why do you worship and where are you at? If you're not making preparations to worship, you can't go to the next step next Sunday to do that. Let me pray for you. With every head bowed, just for a moment, every